Why don't you stand with me for the reading of the word? Some of you have been handing out some of these welcome home cards. And we still got some of those, but we made the homecoming card for friend day. Kind of looks a lot like it. But invite somebody to friend day. We will have a packed house. We'll set out seats. We'll make sure everybody gets seated. But uh, invite some people here. God's going to do some awesome things. And we're going to be pushing towards Easter from our friend day. I've got some direction, I feel like, from God. And I just want to share it with all of you and for the ones that are going to be here. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. It's great to see our guests. Good to have all of you here. Exodus 20, 5 and 6. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep me. And I want to preach a message today entitled, The Sub, The Sub. And I want to say a prayer right now. Father, I thank you so much for your blessing, for the blessing of the Lord. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and we give you praise for that right now in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. It's the substitute, but I call it the sub. You may be seated. The sub. Excuse me while I make a note here. Just talk amongst yourselves. The substitute. I grew up going to public schools. Apollo Elementary. Wow. It was quite the cutting edge school back in the day. 40 years ago or so, it was this huge one-room elementary school, pretty much one giant class, but like enormous with partitions separating the classes, and every class had a video camera trained on it in this gigantic room, and there was this big control room where parents could go in and observe their child on a TV monitor. It looked like ground control at NASA. I mean, it was cutting edge. Apollo Elementary even had the name Apollo, and a rocket ship was the kind of the theme for it, the the logo. It was a a cutting-edge school. And then there was Green Acres Junior High. It was not nearly as high-tech. But it was a great school, home of the Mustangs. And uh, there was also a teacher there that she was brilliant. Miss Toms, I loved her. She was my neighbor, grandmother of the PGA golfer and LSU alumni, David Toms. She taught me American history. Had a lot of fun at Green Acres Junior High. I didn't eat lunch much, but they had uh, a, a, a little snack bar. And in those days, you could buy Reese's peanut butter cups and Snicker bars, you know, they weren't like selling fruit and, and beans and grass, you know, like, like weed. Well, I shouldn't say weeds or grass because probably some of that being sold back then. But I'm just saying, <laughs> not at the snack bar. 
And, and, and today, you know, today you can't get those kind of goodies necessarily. But we, that was Green Acres Junior High School. And finally, there was Airline High School, home of the Vikings. And I have a, a love-hate relationship with Airline for my high school years. In some ways, it was great. In other ways, it was not so great. Those days seemed to last forever. And those days seemed to fly by in just a few minutes. But in elementary, middle, and high school, when the regular teacher was out, we would have a substitute, a.k.a. the sub. And there was this unwritten rule, a code by which we lived. And it went like this. When the teacher was out and the sub was in, it was on. And we ruled The inmates took over the asylum. We owned the sub. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did anybody experience that wonderful thing called the sub? And we would switch seats and change names and act like we didn't know what she was talking about or he was talking about. Well, the teacher said you're supposed to do. We don't know how to do it. What are you talking about? You know, we throw that kind of stuff out. It was a free day. We would try to drive the sub up the wall to tears, devastate them. We pushed them to their limits. I loved it when the sub walked in the door. I loved it. It was incredible. Sometimes word would even spread before we got to class. Hey, there's a sub. Yes, I didn't get my assignment done. Who cares? You know, like, here we go. I loved it. But all of that came to bite my face off about 15 years later when I found myself stumbling around in Faustin High School in Harford County, Maryland, trying to find the room where I would be the sub. I was in my early 30s and under the deception, Nick, that I was very cool. I was deceived. I thought I was hip. I thought I was on top of my game. I thought I was young and wild and free and had the magic power of the music in me. You know, I just thought I was cool. But those Faustin, those ignorant Faustin high school kids taught me otherwise. They let me know quick and without a doubt, Randy, that there was nothing cool in me. I might have been a lot of things, but cool was not one of them. And they drove me up the wall. And they drove me almost to tears. And the first day I came home, I laid down on the couch with a migraine. And I was shaking like this. And that is not a lie. And it became the, one of the greatest challenges of my life to dominate Faustin High School as a substitute teacher. Which I will say, I did, kind of. (laughs) More so on the outward appearance than on the inward confidence. But man, I'm telling you what, I learned quickly. Wow, those poor subs that I tortured. It all came back to haunt me. The word substitute comes from the Latin 
statuaire and sub meaning to stand in place of. The actual teacher bore the responsibility of teaching these young skulls full of mush, but when he or she could not be there, the substitute teacher would stand in the place or stands in the place of that teacher, substituting, standing in the place of that teacher. Now, there's a couple of Bible words, theological words that I want to focus on today. The first one is iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. Strange little word. This word speaks of an inward bent, a propensity, like an inward motivation. Lust would be an iniquity. Transgression is the second word. Everybody say transgression. Transgression means to step across a line. It's an outward manifestation of iniquity. In other words, someone can have iniquity in their heart, but when they act upon it, they've moved beyond iniquity to transgression. To transgress means to step across the line, to act on iniquity. To transgress is to trespass. When I was a kid, me and my cousin Randy, y'all heard me talk about Randy, right? Me and my cousin Randy, we used to ride horses out in West Shreveport around Greenwood, Louisiana at the farm. And we'd come across certain fences and houses and acreage, and they had signs that uh, looked like this. No trespassing. That's kind of the way they looked, some of these places. Posted, no trespassing, keep out. And then there were some that kind of looked like this, too. You may have seen these. <laughs> yeah. We've come, you may have, anybody have a sign like that on your land? Some of you, you've probably seen one at least. Maybe you've got some of those signs on your property. But, but that, that fence indicated a line or a boundary. It belonged to someone else. And, and you have no right to step foot on that property. It means no trespassing, no transgressing. Randy and I would ride our horses Man, we had like big horses, small horses. We had our, a variety of horses we could ride. And so we'd ride the paint someday. She was wild. We'd ride the big Opelousas. He was, he was calm and, and gentle. And, and we had uh, this other big white horse called Giant. We'd ride him sometimes. He was gentle but unpredictable. He might just like jump a ditch. You didn't know it was coming. And, and just like had all these different horses we would ride. And we would ride them. This is crazy thinking back on it. We would ride those horses up to Kelly's truck stop on I-20. We were like 10, 11 years old. We're on these great big old horses, and we're riding down I-20, you know. And we'd go to the truck stop, and we'd come, and we'd tie our horse off at the truck stop, go inside, and get a, an RC coal and a moon pie, you know what I mean? And Woo! Yeah! Eat that, that moon pie and that RC, and pet our horses and look tough and whatnot, get back on a horse, go down an interstate, you know, just like riding the horses down I-20 and then go back up the hill. And, and there were many times that, that we would 
trespass. We'd go through people's fields. They had no trespassing signs. We came across like uh, what we thought were rabid cow herds that would chase us. And, and like I don't know what was going on there. We weren't cowboyish enough to figure it out. But we just know that there was, that's a mean herd. Here they come, you know. And we'd have to like run from the mean cows that were chasing. Some of those cows would like jump fences to get to us. There was a reason there was no trespassing on the, on the fence, right? But we, we, would, we would trespass on a regular basis. We would transgress, meaning we got in somebody's pasture. We got on somebody's land. We were somewhere we weren't supposed to be. And if we got in trouble, we just blamed it on the horses. You know, we're just kids. Our ignorant horses just jumped this fence. We don't know what happened. Now, the Bible indicates that it is the iniquities in the verse we read and not the transgressions that are passed down from father to son to the fourth generation. We've seen this in families where certain propensities and inclinations, bents, seem to recur over and over again throughout generations. Some have referred to this as familiar sins. Sins of the family or generational curses. It can be pretty controversial stuff. Look it up on the internet, you'll see a lot of arguments about it. However, there do seem there there seems to be there seems to be patterns, patterns of behaviors that occur over and over and over again in certain families generationally maybe it's genetic nature a predisposition physically maybe it's just the upbringing and the environment nurture a predisposition in the soulish realm mind will intellect emotions influence perhaps it's spiritual a spiritual predisposition Demonic strongholds, influences, I'm not exactly sure. Here's something I have realized. God moves in families. As a church planner, I've seen it over and over. God begins to work in one member of a family, and it becomes contagious, and another member is influenced. And then before long, another member is influenced. God just starts moving and working in the family, it only makes sense to me that if that's the way it is with God, then the great deceiver and counterfeiter, the devil, would move in families as well. I believe God set the system up in such a way that what is in the father or in the mother will find its way into the child. It, it, it probably has to do with genetics, environment, and spiritual. Probably all three matter and are involved. That's why it is so important that as parents, let me talk to parents for a moment, that we have clean hands and pure hearts when we're dealing with our kids. They smell insincerity. They know when what we say is not what we are and what we do is not what we are. They, they understand that. They, they can smell what's on the inside. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 3, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? 
He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. And it is so true. What one generation tolerates in moderation, the next celebrates in excess. What one generation tolerates in moderation, the next one will celebrate in excess. What's on the inside is being expressed on the outside. What's in the heart of one generation will be in the hand of the next generation. There's no escaping our hearts. We are captive to our hearts. Luke 6.45, Jesus said, out of the abundance of what? The heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4.23, the wise man says, above all, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. With the heart, Paul said, man believes unto righteousness. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting on the inside. Fathers and mothers, let me ask you, what's in your heart? Because what's in your heart really does matter. It doesn't need to be wrath and doubting. It needs to be faith and hope and love. Because transgressions follow iniquity. So we have to deal with the iniquities of the heart. I heard iniquity described like wickered furniture one time. It's just twisted. It's twisted. It's twisted thinking. It is wrong and it will lead to transgressions. So how do we deal with our iniquities? Enter the sub, the substitute. Isaiah 53, look at this with me. Are you with me? This is a Jesus message. Our vision here at LifePoint is Jesus, people, and mission. Jesus is first. Everything we do is a response to his overwhelming love and mercy. Jesus is first. People matter. All people everywhere. And we're on a mission to get Jesus to people locally and globally. That's what we do. This is a Jesus message today. I want to help you out. Here's how you deal with your heart through the sub, the substitute. Verse 1, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely, that's covenant language, surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You know what that's saying? That's saying that this generation that literally looked at Christ 
on the cross thought he's getting what he deserves. God is cursing him. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. The Bible says he's getting what he deserves. This man is full of iniquity and transgression. This man is getting exactly what he deserves. Surely, surely, he has borne our griefs, though it says, and our sorrow. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for what? Our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed or made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. Folks, here's the deal. We have a substitute. We have not just any substitute, but the Lord of glory came down as a man to be our substitute and to take our iniquity. When Jesus came walking in the room, the devil knew that he was a sub. And he thought, I can take him. I've got this. And he wreaked havoc on the substitute. He unleashed all of hell on Jesus. He brought his A game and tried to drive him up the wall. He's only a sub, the devil thought. What can he do? And there were others. Nobody seemed to believe that Jesus could do what he came to do and undo the effects of transgressions and iniquity. Isaiah 53 starts out with the rhetorical question, who has believed our report, right? It's rhetorical, meaning no one has believed our report. He came unto his own, the Bible says, and his own received him not. Isaiah said he had no form or comeliness, no beauty. He was despised and rejected. He's in Mark 6. He comes comes to his hometown, and he's there to heal people, but he couldn't do many signs and wonders there because they just said, he's just Joseph's boy. This guy can't take anything away. He's just the substitute. He came into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey, and they hailed him. This is awesome. This This is awesome. But just 24 hours later, they were saying, crucify him. Crucify him because they didn't believe that he could actually do what he had come to do. Nobody believed he could do it. But when he rose from the dead, he looked at his disciples and said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He looked at his disciples understanding that there was power in his name because of that finished work and he said now you go in my name and you preach the remission of sins to all nations make disciples of all nations all over the world because now he had a name that was lifted higher than any other name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of all give him praise right now can you do it hallelujah The substitute, the substitute. People said he can't do it. He can't get rid of this sin problem, this iniquity and this transgression. 
But I'll tell you what he can do. He can take a heart that's full of iniquity and, and, and make it a heart of flesh. He can give it a, a heart, make it a heart after God. He, he can make somebody who is against God a new creation in Christ Jesus where old things are passed away and behold, all things are made new. He can make a person born again of water and spirit. Why? Because he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He was our substitute. And his work was finished. And his work was effective. And he finished everything that he came to do. The substitute. Everybody say the substitute. Now sheep are dumb. I don't know if you've been around sheep or goats. I have a little bit, and they're just, they're just dumb, you know. They're just, they're just dumb. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Stupid sheep, dumb sheep. Just following their nose, following their desires. There's a stubbornness in mankind in Romans 3, 10 through 18, Paul quotes a lot of the Old Testament verses when he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. Did, did you catch that? There is none righteous, no, not one. N- none. Everybody say none. None. No, not one. It's, re- it's, it's doubled down upon. None righteous, no, not one. You know why? Because none righteous. Sometimes we get all holier than thou and mighty, and we're like, well, you know, maybe that's true with all of y'all. But I've been a good little boy this week. There is none righteous, and for you who are thinking that, no, not even one. High priest Caiaphas, Annas, Nicodemus, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. No one understands. No one seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Because we're like, I I did some good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb spewing death. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Snakes. That's why we have a cat, Hemingway, kills the poisonous asps in our backyard. And when when he does it, I post pictures and I go, hashtag asps. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's not like a lot of hope right there. That sounds like dumb sheep just following their own desires and doing their own thing. No wonder the devil's called the God of this world. Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 3, the wise man says, I returned and considered 
all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. He looks around and, and, and he's saying there are those who are oppressed and there, there are the oppressors. And I felt sorry for the oppressed, but really that is an illustration of all of humanity from the least to the greatest, from the weakest to the most powerful. There is still this oppression of iniquity in the heart that leads to transgression that affects our kids and our grandkids and generations and families and nations. There is no hope, but that was all before the sub got a hold of hell. And what I am telling you, you thought, I'll never be able to change. I've got a family that's stuck this way. We struggled like this all of our lives. I'll never be able to break free. I'll never be able to change. And you find yourself stuck in a never-ending cycle and a never-ending pattern of behavior and struggle. And you think, my kids are going to be like this. And, and they're going to be just like me. I've got good news for you. The substitute has come. And his name is Jesus. And he was wounded for your transgressions. And he was bruised for your iniquities. Give him some praise. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this sub saved the day. This sub made a way. This sub broke every chain. This sub is your savior and your deliverer and your healer. And he knows how to set you in a different direction. Isn't that amazing? The substitute. The substitute. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When grace was spoken, chains were broken. I preached that message before. And I thought about it again. The little woman that was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, it just don't get any more busted than that, right? I mean, do we have to go into detail? The wording is just uncomfortable. Caught in the very act of adultery. And these religious guys grab a hold of her. They drag her to Jesus. Probably in a sheet, right? Just drag her to Jesus. And they're going to stone her. And they don't care about her. They don't even care about the transgression that's come from the iniquity. They don't even care about that. It's a test. All this is is a test because they want a reason to accuse Jesus to the Romans. This is in John 8. Jesus, if he said she should be stoned, then he was saying what the law of Moses said. But if he said she should be stoned, then he's also setting himself up as an enemy of the state against the Roman Empire because he would be calling for a rebellion or a disobedience of the law. They could not carry out capital punishment without the consent of Rome. And so he could be accused by these religious Jews to the Roman officials of causing sedition and, and going against Roman law and they would have a reason to arrest him and get him off the scene. They were jealous of him. So they don't even care about this little woman caught 
in the very act. And the fact that she was caught in the very act and this was a trap for Jesus means probably she was caught in a trap as well. These men do not care about this woman. You know the devil doesn't care about you at all. We spend so much time trying to like, 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 uh, you know, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to uh, come across as Pharisees or religious or something like that. When the like, as if the devil is kind and generous and, and just tolerant of people, and it's all because he loves people. It's because he hates people and he wants to keep them in deception. He wants them to go to hell. <laughs> the truth sets us free. Deception keeps us bound all the way to the pit of hell. And so they, they don't care about this woman. They just drag her to Jesus. And they say, here's what the law of Moses says. She should be stoned. She's an adulteress. She was caught in the very act. You know, we caught her. It was, we caught her in the very act. Now, what do you say? Do you agree with the word? Or do you not agree with the word? Because then they could get him too. He preaches against the law of Moses. They got him either way. It's a trap. Oh, Jesus does so. He's just a sub. That's what they're thinking. He's just a sub. We could take him down. It's like Miss Mosley in third grade. I can take her down, you know. She's nothing compared to me and my third grade genius. I'm going to take her down. Never heard of that assignment. We don't know what you're talking about. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go to the bathroom too. You know, he's got problems. He always has to go to the bathroom. You ought to let him go to the bathroom. You know, just lie into the teacher. That's what these guys are doing. Just lying. And the whole bottom line is they, they want to stop his influence. And so they come after this little woman caught in the very act of adultery. What do you say? They got stones, man. They've already picked up the stone. They're ready to kill her, man. Oh. And Jesus, here's iniquity, here's transgression. Oh. And Jesus drops. He just, he just drops down. He starts writing in the dust. You know, people always say, you know, what did he write in the dust? He wrote their sins, you know, like, like Joe Schmo. Uh, slept with this woman last week. You know, like that's, people say that's what he wrote. I, I don't know what he wrote. I don't know if he wrote, uh, I don't know if he was just doodling. I mean, he might have been drawing stick people. You know what I mean? Who, who knows what he was writing? We don't know what he was writing, but he's just writing. He's just draw, hashtag idiots. You know, like maybe, maybe he wrote in English. They didn't know what it was. He just went ahead and advanced, you know, hashtag fools. It's like Brother, Brother McFarland said, you know, you're so blessed because where the Bible is silent, you have me, and I can fill in the blanks, right? <laughs> so he, he just starts writing in the, in the sand, and then he says, let he that is without the sin throw the first stone. Now, he's quoting Bible, too. That's actually Scripture. He said, of the witnesses, let the first one that throws the rock be the man without sin. He's... That, that, but but it, it, the scripture is the, the, first, the, the witness that saw it first, like he should throw the first stone. And he's like, let the witness without sin throw that first stone. He, he kind of throws that in. And, and the Bible said that, that they left from the oldest to the youngest. The oldest had more wisdom. The young ones still thought he was a substitute. The, the older ones realized, okay, this ain't going to work. 
They dropped their stones and they walked and they left him alone with the woman. And Jesus looks at the woman and he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, I don't have any. And the substitute looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. Now, you know why he could say that? Because she was a sinner for crying out loud. You know why he could say that? Don't you worry, honey. Because just in a very short time, I will bear your iniquity. I will take your transgressions. And I will be the substitute. I'll take your shame, honey. I'll take the stoning. I'll take the wrath. I'm going to take it all. And I'm going to give to you my righteousness. It's an exchange. Folks, this is a Jesus message. We've got to get back to the fundamentals of why we do what we do. It is not, it is not to have a cool church. It is not to grow this congregation, even though it's growing left and right. And it's ridiculous. We're out of seating. Uh, I mean, we, we, the last several Sundays ago, we have more people than seats. We got to do something, right? It's a good. I've, I've done church both ways. This is more fun, right? <laughs> I love having not enough seats, you know. But w- what I'm saying is, it's not about growing a church per se, just a, a crowd. It's about getting people to the substitute who takes their iniquities out of them and changes their lives and changes their families and changes their bloodline forever. Stand with me right now. Can you give him some praise? If he's changed your life, if you felt that difference, give him praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. The substitute, he stepped in. The devil, the religious, they're like, we've got him. This is just a substitute. He ain't nothing. Little did they know that the God of glory had stepped in among them. And not only would he be their substitute teacher, but that he would be their substitute and would die in their place. He would be their substitute like that. And I feel like the message today that somebody needs to hear is this. You feel like you've been stuck. You feel like maybe your kids are going to be just like you or just like the way you have been. You're stuck in this relentless cycle. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit wants you to know today that He's come to break every chain. That that doesn't have to be your story. The iniquities visited to the third and fourth generation that is no comparison to the promise of but if you love me I'll take it on down to thousands of generations the influence of Jesus on the heart of a mom or dad is so much greater than the influence of a lifetime of wickedness on the heart of the mom or dad and if you'll fall in love with Jesus and let God begin to change that heart it'll pass on to your kids And they won't have to live like you live. They won't have to face some of the demons that you faced. Why? Because that cycle has been broken. Amen? Forever. In the name of Jesus. Your kids can have a better marriage. Your kids can have a better financial state. Your kids can have a walk with God that maybe your folks didn't have. Your kids can walk with a balance in their world where they're happy and they're not 
freaky religious, but they love Jesus with everything they have. And they walk in that balance, and they're soul winners. And they love Jesus. They love people, and they're on a mission. But they're not like cult-like. You know what I'm saying? They can walk like that. You don't have to, you don't have to fall in the traps that you've seen others, maybe in your family, walk in, fall in. You can walk free because the substitute has made a way. Can you close your eyes and bow your head?